Welcome to Waking Up to Grace. If you're not familiar with our ministry, we are a social media ministry, and uh, we are on Facebook. Uh, that's probably our primary uh, uh, residency at this time is on Facebook, um, and where you can also you can also look at our videos on YouTube and Rumble. And uh, I always remind people that the the one of my biggest focuses in the future, and it's already up and running now, and it, to me is pretty awesome, is uh, my website at www.wakinguptograce.com. Uh, right there, you can find our a blog post page where it has all of our videos nice and organized. I'm going to be able to topically organize things much better than you can on social media. And there will be places to post comments if you want. And of course, there's our contact page um, to where you can reach out to us. And uh, so I, I'm really aiming to have our, our website be recognized as a place to find us, you know, and uh, a place to go where we'll be. And, uh, you know, uh, I just, you know, think that's a a great idea and where I'm going to put a lot of focus because I can design that. I can customize that. I can do it the way I want to. And um so I think that there's uh, a lot more abilities there to to grow and build something as far as our ministry goes. And so I hope to see a lot of you guys check it out and maybe even make a comment on a blog post to get things started there. That's a kind of a newer thing I put together. You can also watch all our videos there. You can see our videos and um, yeah, there's just going to be a, a lot building and a lot going on there. Cause I like to build, uh, I like to build that website. So just wanted to let you guys know that. And um, so that's that's the that's what we got going on in our ministry. Our our focus, our goal is to to bring truth into light and to expose um, expose false uh, doctrines and expose things that are let's just say error. Because uh, I you know it's you, you always hear these everybody's blaming each other. You're a false prophet and this and that and. You know, a, a, lot, a lot of times it's one Christian brother to another just in disagreement. So, you know, I think the word error is probably a little bit lighter and uh, a little more loving to say we're an error on a lot of things. And, um, you know, I, I may be a little more harsh and, and at times towards, um, uh, you know, somebody in a hierarchical position, but I don't I'm not going to name names. I, I get frustrated about the the institutionalized hierarchy that uh, we experience in our in our country and probably all over the world. It's just kind of become the thing. It, it just diminishes the organic spirit of Christ working in and through people. We're all we're all to be a part of it, according to Jesus, that uh, you call nobody father. There's no authority over you as a Christian. You, the spirit is, is what teaches us and grows all of us. And Christ is our authority. And so when you start building a top-down authority, there's problems. And there's a lot of problems that come from that, especially when you are supposed to take everything that they say as the truth. And you're not allowed to make discernments. And a lot of times you're not even allowed to ask questions. Some of them have some teachers have bodyguards. I mean, there's all kinds of scenarios, but, uh, you know, we use the word pastor today. It's actually only mentioned once in the New Testament, and it's it's not a position of authority. It's not even a teacher. It's a spiritual gift. Um, deacons are overseers, you know, just overseeing things. So, you know, leaders could have just just been simply organizing. They they stood up like Peter stood up, up among many at that time. It said Peter stood up among them. And uh, they 
uh, and spoke amongst them. So organically, sometimes a leader would emerge and uh, try to maybe organize things, maybe say, hey, you guys go over there, we go over here. They're not telling you what to believe that organically, uh, organically false teachers would get weeded out. And, uh, you know, Paul weeded out false teachers through his letters. They would come to him and ask questions. And um, there's all, all, all kinds of things going on in the scripture. And, um, and so I just wanted to mention that briefly. I'll definitely be hitting on more of that in upcoming uh, uh, messages, because the the church, the man-made church hierarchy started probably in the first couple of centuries after after the early Christians, probably around 250 AD, maybe somewhere in there, if I recall correctly. And um, th- that's when the church buildings became an establishment, and there would be a one man at the pulpit and everybody listening, and you weren't really allowed to question that. And um, in some many days, I was just like, no, you didn't question that authority. And so that's that's no good. But today, today's message um, to get uh, back on track, I'm going to be talking about Simon the Sorcerer. Uh, We're going to look at uh, what's the deal with Simon the Sorcerer? Why does he matter? Well, he's written up in the books of the in the book of Acts. Uh, This is the Acts of the Apostles. Um, so this is just a recording that Luke made of things that happened, and it's very interesting. There's a lot to be learned from these these acts of the apostles. As we went through in the in the past, you start to learn that there is there is a, a lot of interesting dynamics going on between the relationship with Peter, Paul, James uh, that the Book of Acts records, and there's a lot to to gain from and a lot of insight to learn from those. Um, especially in regard to the, the epistle of James. And um, so we've we've done videos on that. If you want to check that out, I, I absolutely recommend that that whole series. Um, but Faith Without Works is Dead Explained kind of sums up the stance uh, that I'm standing on in that regard. But we explored all avenues under, under the grace aspect of it, not legalism. Uh, I believe legalism is a contaminant. It's not encouraging. it's it's no good and so you know i mean if you're gonna if you're gonna come on to our our platform and spread legalism don't bother i'm just gonna delete it i'm not here to argue and win arguments with people i'm here to teach and to to uh, hold the truth in the light and those who who see it and and accept it that's good those are the holy people and uh you know if you if you don't like it fine go somewhere else it's it's no big deal i'm not i'm i don't have the time to spend arguing with people about their legalistic belief systems but if you if you want to kindly ask me questions and you want to learn about something that i'm teaching absolutely reach out to me but uh, you know i'm not going to spend my time with pages and pages of of legalistic bantering going back and forth uh realize very quickly starting the ministry there's no time for that in my life so uh, about Simon the Sorcerer, anyhow, Simon the Sorcerer. So why is this important? Why, why does this matter? I, well, it came to my realization how important um, this passage, this the heading is Simon the Sorcerer in Acts chapter 8, but it's about this Simon the Sorcerer character. And uh, I heard somebody's uh, muddled view of grace, and they mentioned Simon the Sorcerer, and they said he was a believer. 
And so that's that he, he believed and that's the way we need to take it. And I, and they quickly skimmed over that. And I, and then it, it went on to talk about how we can be punished and whipped by God as Christians. And we have to main, you know, have fellowship, maintain fellowship through our actions and behaviors, which also would mean that we're going to be blessed if we're good and, you know, not blessed if we're bad. And, uh, you know, that's, that's, that, that doctrine just pollutes the gospel. It's no good. It just takes away from it. And, um, you know, my goal here is to not add or take away from the gospel, just to glorify God through our ministry. And uh, so this Simon the Sorcerer passage is very important because if you look at Simon the Sorcerer as a Christian at the time that uh, Peter rebukes him, there's problems, and I'm and I'm going to show you. There's a lot of problems, and there there would be problems with our 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 whole teachings about Christ and about the new heart. There would be whole problems with the whole teaching of the Scripture. We get a new heart and a new spirit, and God pours His Spirit within those hearts. Right? Satan's not going to come into that clean heart. Not going to happen for one. And those hearts are not wicked and evil. So we know that from Scripture. So there's this Simon the Sorcerer, the passage, if if you were to read it in the wrong context, you would say, oh, that, that proves you wrong. That disagrees. Well, it doesn't prove me wrong. It would prove the Bible wrong, but it doesn't prove the Bible wrong. And the good news is that it's really actually simple to, to realize what's going on here from if you just read the whole passage. So let's, let's go through this. Let's check this out. Uh, starting with Acts chapter 8, verse 9. This is the, the newer NIV version. It's not the 1984 version. It's the newer one. Uh, he says, Now for some time a man named Simon had practiced sorcery in the city and amazed all the people of Samaria. He boasted that he was someone great, and all the people, both high and low, gave him their attention and exclaimed, This man is rightly called the great power of God. They followed him because he had amazed them for a long time with his sorcery. But when they believed Philip, as he proclaimed the good news of the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Simon himself believed and was baptized, and he followed Philip everywhere, astonished by the great signs and miracles he saw. So it sounds like everybody believed the gospel and was baptized. But let's hone in on something interesting here. It, it was uh, the good news of the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ. And so that sounds pretty similar to what John the Baptist was teaching, actually. He was proclaiming this new repentance. The Messiah was here, right? And um, it, it sounds a lot like that. And um, so and if, and if you go back and, and look at John the Baptist's baptism, um, briefly, in Acts chapter 19, uh, it says, While Apollos was at Corinth, Paul took the road through the interior and arrived at Ephesus. There he found some disciples and asked them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you, when you believed? They answered, No, we have, not even, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. So Paul asked, Then what baptism did you receive? John's baptism, they replied. Paul said John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. He told the people to believe in the in one coming after him, that is in Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. 
When Paul placed his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they spoke in tongues and prophesied. They were about 12 in all. Okay, so they hadn't received the Holy Spirit yet. They, they, they believed this message that John the Baptist was proclaiming, but there was something missing from it. They hadn't received the Holy Spirit. It was about what was to come. And so what we, what we see when we read on, uh, Simon the Sorcerer picking up where we left off, chapter 8, verse 14, it says, When the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had accepted the word of God, they sent Peter and John to Samaria. When they arrived, they prayed for the new believers there that they might receive the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit had not yet come on any of them. Oh, wait a minute. The Spirit had not come on any of them. Not even Simon the Sorcerer had received the Holy Spirit yet. Huh. So how can you consider yourself a Christian without the Holy Spirit? They, he hadn't had the heart change. He hadn't had the heart transplant, right? So he didn't have the Spirit in him. And it continues on. They had simply been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And so let's just pause for a minute, too, and realize that there's there's a bit of a, a, a what a hidden diamond in the rough there when it comes to uh, something we actually didn't even cover this passage in our topic on baptism. Another example, that water baptism did not save. They were baptized in water in the name of the Lord Jesus. And they had not yet received the Holy Spirit, a second instance, another instance, besides the one that we just read. And uh, also, besides the other one, where the um, where, where Peter came, and, and um, oh, what was the name of the place? And drawing a blank, but Peter... Peter came into uh, the where the Gentiles were. God gave him this vision of the blanket with the food and said, eat, and everything is clean to you. And so Cornelius, yeah, he went with Cornelius, and uh, all these Gentiles heard the message and believed and received the Holy Spirit before water baptism. And he said, so what's to stop them from getting baptized? So there's several instances where uh, salvation occurred apart from water. Just a side note, and I uh, just wanted to point that out because this passage in particular is just yet another one of those. They were baptized in water, they believed, but they weren't saved yet. So there was things happening. There was like this, this meshing of the John the Baptist version of repentance and then the, the Jesus's version of repentance that gives you the spirit. And um, so... So evidently Philip wasn't giving, there was something lacking in Philip's message. And so what we see here is they continue on. They said they had simply been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then Peter and John placed their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. When Simon saw that the Spirit was given at the laying on the apostles' hands, he offered them money and said, give me also this ability so that everyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. So Simon saw, Simon the sorcerer saw them doing that and then offered to pay money for it. He hadn't received it yet. He offered to pay for it instead. Peter, and then Peter answers, make your money perish with you because you thought you could buy the gift of God with money. He was going to buy the Holy Spirit. You can't buy the Holy Spirit. Give me that power. I'll pay you. Why would he even do that? They were giving it freely. It just doesn't make any sense. 
And so Peter's answer is is uh, is correct. He says, uh, because you thought you could buy the gift of God with money, you have no part or share in this ministry because your heart is not right before God. Repent of this wickedness and pray to the Lord in the hope that he may forgive you for having in, having such a thought in your heart. For I see that you are full of bitterness and captive to sin. Then Simon answered, pray to the Lord for me so that nothing you have said may happen to me. After they had further proclaimed the word of the Lord and testified about Jesus, Peter and John returned to Jerusalem, preaching the gospel in many Samaritan villages. But to, to sum it up again, uh, he says, pray for me so that none of these bad things happen to me. Um, repent, Peter says, of this wickedness and pray to the Lord in the hope that he may forgive you for having such a thought in your heart. Think about that. If you're if you're viewing Simon the sorcerer as saved, which he wasn't, clearly based on the text, if you read carefully and discern carefully, you realize he was not a Christian. He was not saved. And if he was, Peter's telling him, you have a bad heart. Ask for forgiveness. Ask God to forgive you for this. And he was terrified. He was like, no, no. Well, what I see here is that Simon the sorcerer probably went on to repent and, and receive the Holy Spirit. I think that Peter rebuked him, you know, because he jumped the gun. He still had his uh, sinful nature in him and he jumped the gun wanting to buy the spirit. He was a sorcerer. You know, it's it's hard to let go of our past sometimes. And <laughs> it's impossible, in fact. So he had that nature. He wanted power. And so he saw it that way. But I, I believe when uh, when Peter rebuked him and he said, please pray for me, that was a sign. That was a sign of humble uh, humbleness. So I, you know, for what it's worth, I think Simon the Sorcerer ended up being saved after all. But at the time of Peter rebuking him in that way, Peter, uh, Peter writes about the heart, you know, that we get in Christ and how it's uh, we've been purified and cleansed at heart level. So. Yeah, you could say that maybe early on he didn't understand that, and uh, he was speaking, uh, you know, wildly there. But it's not what was happening. He was actually accurate. He was he was saying that he wasn't a believer, and so when we discern from these passages, we realize that they had not received the Spirit yet. If you just look at the passage from the beginning and say, "Oh, it says he believed," um, it says he believed. Belief is what it takes. That's how we're saved. Now you can just build this whole doctrine, this awful doctrine of having to, you know, be punished by God, fear God, you know, pray for forgiveness from God. The scripture doesn't teach us that. So that passage is actually that manipulating, that challenging passage, which I wouldn't even say it's that challenging, but it could be challenging because it says he believes everything in light of the gospel, everything in light of the truth of the finished work at the cross. That's how we discern scripture. And so we see here that that brings the truth into the light. Don't be looking at it in like a, a light of legalism. You'll just be skimming over and be like, oh, he, he was saved. And he, Peter told him he had a bad heart. Nope, it's not the truth. So good news is that when you look at things in light of the gospel, in light of the finished work of Jesus Christ, scripture reveals itself. And we and we are aware of what we need to discern. We're aware of the tough passages that need more clarity. They they come to the surface, and so then we have to give those more attention. Oftentimes, more uh, attention to the historicness of it, to the uh, the culture side of it, to what was going on at that time. 
and who was actually being spoken to, why it was being said, what was the context, was it Old Covenant, New Covenant? You know, we got to dig deeper, but you can simplify all those types of, of uh, ways under, under the umbrella of all things in light of Christ's finished work, because that just makes things so much easier because you don't have to ruminate on those passages. So that's, that's the truth about Simon the Sorcerer. So I hope you, I hope that helps you guys. You know, if you've read the book of Acts, uh, you could really stumble on that one and start ruminating and be like, oh, what does this mean? And seeing it cross-eyed. And so don't worry about doing that. And thank you for being part of this uh, shorter message at Waking Up to Grace. Check out wakinguptograce.com or join us on Facebook. Check us out on YouTube and uh, Rumble if you want to. We post videos there. We're not as interactive, at least at this time. We'll see what, what happens and what God does with those areas. But thanks for being a part of waking up to grace with us and uh, join us for the next one and uh, see you soon.